The scripture for this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 52, verses 1 through 12. Join me in a short prayer for illumination before we hear God's word. Jesus, how beautiful are you, the one who brings the good news, news of your sacrifice for our salvation and redemption. Humble our hearts this morning and let us hear your word. Be present with Corey as he preaches, and let this all be for your glory, Jesus. Praise be to Christ. Amen. Hear the word of God from Isaiah 52. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Lose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you are sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now, therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing. Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, for you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Good morning, everybody. Sorry. Matt left me a silly note on this podium here, so I was just reading this note here. Matt uh, would have liked to preach this sermon. He has COVID. Rachel's got COVID. They say they're doing okay. They're not feeling too bad, but he asked me to step in and preach on this, which I was, of course, only too happy to do because I'm really excited about this series when we're talking about what we talk about when we talk about good news. What we're doing is we're looking at Old Testament passages where the authors talk about good news because that's the background that Jesus would have expected his hearers to understand when he said, I'm here to bring you good news. And when Paul said, I'm here to bring you good news, the good news about Jesus Christ, 
these are the passages that have been going around in their minds and informing and filling in some of the gaps in what they were saying. So this is an amazing series. I'm really excited to be able to be a part of it. Um, Go to the next slide. I I think there's a slide that has kind of an outline of it. This is, I hope, a little bit clear what we're going to do here. Uh, don't let, don't, don't worry about reading it. It's the shape that matters. All right. So you see how in the middle of this passage, verse seven is kind of out to the side, out to the left there. We're going to deal with verse seven and that's the core of the passage. And then we're going to kind of deal with the parts just immediately to the, to the above and below verse seven. And then we're going to finally deal with the very, very beginning and the very, very end. So just I want you to just have that shape in mind. You can go to the next slide, and hopefully there's some more uh, legible uh, text there. Uh, We're going to start with verse 7, so maybe go one more. Beautiful. Now remember, as we look at this text, the context is that these people have been in, in, in bondage, in captivity for 150 years. So you're talking about a context where not only have you never been to the promised land, you've never been to Jerusalem, your parents never been there, your grandparents never been there. And into this context comes this prophecy. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So I want to start by walking through a few notes on the, on, the, on the text itself, and then we'll back up a little bit to look at the, the whole. But what I want you to notice here is what we talk about when we talk about good news is, in this passage, your God reigns. We could potentially stop there as far as the sermon goes, but I'll keep going. Uh, anyway, but that, that's the end of the sermon is the good news is your God reigns. It's not just that God reigns. Uh, That could be good news, could be bad news. But this is your God reigns. The God that is for you, who's working on your behalf, who's on your side, who has your best interests at heart. And not just that he's your God, but that he reigns. He's not just loving you, wanting the best for you, but he's powerful to bring those things into being. When we look at the image that the prophet is using here, Um, I want you guys to think of the, uh, not the feet especially, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. This passage really has nothing to do with feet. Uh, You guys know the story of Marathon, the first Marathon. There was a battle. They sent a runner back to the capital city to say, we won. This is the kind of image that we're talking about. And when we were looking at 1st and 2nd Samuel as well, we saw several of those uh, times where there was a battle or something good or bad happened. They sent a runner back to the capital. This is what's happening here. The image is there's a city and there's mountains. Maybe there's a valley in between. And you have a runner who has good news. And they get to the top of that mountain. Now, on the city uh, wall, there are these watchmen. And, and over there on the mountain, there's a runner. Now, when the runner gets to the top of that mountain, he can't wait to tell the capital city, we won the battle. So I can just imagine him kind of like jumping and, and gesturing and that kind of thing. This is the kind of image that we're talking about. Way over on the mountain, somebody's yelling over, we won. Except for in this case, it's not we won, but your God reigns. He's coming and he's powerful. How beautiful on the mountains 
are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Now, this is the, really the, the core of the, the passage and the message, and it's the general principle that we're talking about. There are some specific applications of how this works out in the lives of the people in captivity, uh, the first hearers, the first receivers of this message, but there's different um, outworkings of this uh, for us today. So uh, sometimes you look at the Old Testament and you're thinking, well, does this passage really apply to me today? Uh, Or was it maybe just for Old Testament believers, something like that? I want to assure you that we're on firm uh, footing here when we apply this passage to us in the New Testament times, not least because over and over again in the New Testament, they refer to this passage and they talk to us. We are a part of the people who are addressed. We are the part of the people of God who the prophet is addressing when he says, your God reigns. Outworkings of it again are different. When you have, we've talked about this before, but when you have Old Testament prophecy, you often have to reference. So you have maybe uh, an immediate fulfillment, and then you have a future fulfillment, and then you can possibly even have a third distant future fulfillment, and that's the case here. So we're going to talk about fulfillments for them and fulfillments for us. That's the middle. That's the very middle verse of this whole passage, 1 through 12. So we go back up. So go back one. Perfect. Now if we go to verse 3, we'll see what led to this declaration. For this says the Lord, you were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. Let me just pause there. The redeemed, you're sold for no, without money, redeemed for nothing. A little bit confusing. I think the best explanation of this is when Calvin says, when commenting on this passage, he never let them go. That's all he's getting at here. He never let them go. Even when they were in captivity, when things seemed like it was going really badly, that was, they were in the center of what he was doing in their lives. Maybe they weren't fulfilling all of what he was hoping they were going to do, what he was wanting them to do, but he never let them go. Now, there's some echoes of that when we get to New Testament times because we know that he was re- we are redeemed not with money, but with the blood of the Savior. So there's a, a little bit of a twist there, but for the original hearers, the, originally, the original meaning of this would be just, he never let you go. I'm in verse 4. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing? Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. Now, in that here I am, um, we have really another of the really core principles I want you to take away from this passage. When you first look at that, you probably are thinking, I am divine name. You're thinking uh, that God is referencing that. And that is definitely there. But our Hebrew scholars, uh, among whom I do not number, tell us that what is really verbally going on here is God is saying, behold me, or putting it in our maybe a more familiar language, see me, perceive me, perceive my hand 
in the actions that I am doing, in, the, in what's going on in your life. This isn't just lucky. It's not just unlucky. I am at work in your lives. Perceive me working there. Now we get to verse 7, and then afterwards, the response of the watchman to this runner, to this messenger who's on the mountains. The poetic response. Now please understand again, this is a, a kind of a poetic setting for what it's like to receive this message, your God reigns, to receive this message that you're going to be redeemed. The voice of the watchman. They lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. In English today, when we say eye to eye, we mean we are seeing eye to eye, we agree on something. In the, uh, again, our Hebrew scholars tell us that the idiom in Hebrew means with complete agreement. Not with complete agreement, but with our own eyes, we're seeing this happen with total clarity. Verse 9. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. In this passage, so we're just dealing right now with 3 through uh, 10. In this passage, we have the main, the main concept or the main message. Your God reigns. And we also have several outworkings of this, several results. Number one, as we saw in verse 3, redemption. He is going to buy you back, as it were, from the lands in which you were held captive. No money will exchange hands. Also in verse 7, you see there's good tidings, and it says in the ESV, of happiness, and uh, a lot of times, you know, you hear preachers talk about God doesn't want us to be happy, he wants us to be good, or that kind of thing, and happiness is certainly an acceptable translation of this, but it's just, it's news that will make you happy. It's not happiness in the sense that we kind of think about it in in terms of uh, our American use of the word today. Peace. Shalom. Your God reigns and is bringing us peace. Not just the absence of conflict. You all know the context of this word is well-being in every area of life. Uh, Complete and comprehensive life as it should be. When you hear shalom, you're thinking the Garden of Eden. Everything is right. Our relationships with each other are right. Our relationships with our relationship with God is right. Our relationship with the earth creation is right. Everything is right with the Word. That's what we should think of when we think of shalom, not just the absence of warfare. Salvation. Again, verse 7, we're talking about in the immediate context, the first context, salvation not being what we think of salvation from sin, but salvation from captivity, being allowed to, to leave the land of captivity, Babylon, Assyria, and go back to, to Israel. Of course, in our New Testament context, we can certainly, we're certainly uh, uh, able to read in salvation from sin there as the salvation has grown from the original context to what we understand today that Jesus did for us. Okay, this is great news. Your God reigns, fantastic news. Now remember where we are when we're hearing this great news. We're still in captivity. We're still not in the promised land. We're still in Babylon, Assyria. We're still under the thumb of the oppressor. 
in this context, when you read this, this is still a promise. God has not done it yet. And I can imagine for the first hearers that this could have seemed almost a mocking prophecy. Your God reigns, and we're still here. Your God reigns, he's going to bring shalom, and yet my parents, my grandparents, don't even know how to get to Israel. They never have seen it. Jerusalem lies in ruins, but it's been generations since we even had really concrete news from there. All this was accomplished later, but at this moment, it's not accomplished. This leads us to our second point. Our first point was, your God reigns. Second point is, God's reign is sometimes hidden in the space between promise and fulfillment. God's reign is sometimes hidden in the space between promise and fulfillment. Remember, when they receive this, they're captives. But you guys have read Ezra and Nehemiah. Even when they actually experience the main body of the promises that are in this passage, they still have a lot to do. There's a lot of conflict. People are literally coming at them with swords, okay? This is not shalom. There's not even the absence of warfare. They actually have the warfare. This is a, a partial fulfillment. But that's what we see in our lives. We spend a lot of time in the space between promise and fulfillment. Go to Jesus' life. He healed a lot of people, but those people all died. Even Lazarus, who died and Jesus resurrected him, he eventually died again. This is not the full promise that we were promised here. This is not the full fulfillment here. As they left the land of captivity, went back to Israel, they still had sick kids, they had sick livestock. They kept dying, both on the road and once they got to Israel. We shouldn't imagine that even when they experienced a partial fulfillment of these promises, that life was just great. Neither should we imagine that in this body, in this house, even though we have experienced many partial fulfillments of God's desires for us, all of the things that he has for us, we don't have people for whom life is a constant battle to keep going. For whom shalom is a dream. Some of you, when you read these promises, you think, okay, totally, I am totally down with this. I totally see how Jesus is bringing shalom into my life. I hope many of you either have lives that are absent from great struggle, that you can say this, or that your faith is so strong that you can see past those struggles. For many of us, like myself, it is a constant struggle to say, okay, I see how that applies to me today. For many of us, we look at our lives and we say, God, um, do you see me? Because these promises came a long time ago, and I'm still having a lot of problems that these promises, if they were fulfilled, would take care of a lot of the difficulties that I'm facing. For some of you, maybe this is going to be the first Christmas without one of your deeply loved ones, a spouse, a child, a parent. Maybe this is going to be your first Christmas without... Um, your spouse, you've gotten divorced. This is the first Christmas in divorce. 
Maybe for some of you, you are spending your first Christmas in Connecticut, very, very far from, from loved ones, from people you have had the opportunity to spend Christmas after Christmas with. For others of you, maybe this is just the next in a long string of lonely Christmases in that state, whatever it is that you're facing. Seeing God's hand in intermediate fulfillments of promises enables us to hang on and keep having faith until we experience fuller fulfillments of those promises. I imagine the faith of the original captives that we're talking about here who received this prophecy and then experienced liberation. They could look back to that experience and say, son, daughter, God is faithful. We saw this happen in our own lives. Not only that, they could go back to Abraham and Moses, other stories in the Old Testament, and see God's hand. And from that, able to have faith to keep going. For us, obviously, we can look at this story and say, wow, God brought them back from, the, from captivity to the promised land. We can look at Jesus, who long foretold, he came, he lived, he died, he was resurrected. We have all this in the Bible. We can read about it. We also have our own experience, our own walk with the Lord. Um, and I want to share you a story uh, of, of our lives, of this seeing a partial fulfillment and what that did for us. We've spent, um, many of you know, we spent many years in Senegal as missionaries there, trying to help people understand who Jesus is and seeking to see many people come to believe in him and find new life in him. And we've seen very, very few people come to faith. And that promise, you'll have people from every nation, tribe, tongue, around the throne at the, at the end. We've many times asked the Lord, Lord, do you see us? Because we're out here working, and it seems like you're not working so hard. Uh, we're being as faithful as we can, but it seems like you're not being faithful. Just this last term before we came home, uh, we had something happen that really changed our complaining faithless spirit. We had a couple of guys we've worked with for almost all of this 20 years. Uh, young guys who were very young when we first started working with them, kids storing groups, you know, Bible studies, etc. Finally, it got to the point where we're like, guys, if you haven't made a decision by this point, you guys just need to, you just need to, to go do something else. We regarded these guys as lost causes, basically. When we saw them coming to Bible study, we weren't like, oh yes, they're coming to Bible study. We're like, oh, these guys again. Then in 2018, not due to our efforts, God turned their whole lives upside down. These were guys that when we gave out shirts at a kid's camp, uh, they, they collected the shirts that said Jesus on them from their siblings who had been given these shirts and burned them behind the house so nobody in the neighborhood would even know they were associated with Christians. Goes from that to getting baptized in public, telling their families about their faith in Jesus, telling their classmates about their faith in Jesus, doing Bible study with them. Before we left, I was able to... Um, 
have the privilege of going out with them to minister, kind of showing them the, how to connect their vocation. One of them's a nurse, one of them's a vet tech. How to connect their vocation with sharing the gospel. And these guys, a lot of the connection that we had with them was through our scholarship project, which is really an afterthought as far as our ministry goes, in my mind. Our main thing is, you know, we go to villages, we do projects, we share the Bible. And then from nowhere, the Holy Spirit strikes like lightning and transforms these guys and then launches them into ministry. And we're like, where did that come from? Uh, We were complaining about uh, unfulfilled promises. And then out of nowhere, we got an unexpected fulfillment to that promise. Now, really, not that that answers all of our questions. It does not heal all of our wounds, but we've seen enough to say God's working. God says in this passage, see me, perceive my hand in what's happening to you. And when we saw that, it enabled us to have open, open the door of our hearts just to have a bit more faith so that we could trust God with some of the things that's happened to us in the past, some of the disappointments, and also trust God with some of the questions and uncertainty about the future. After that happened, and we realized God was doing something really unexpected and really powerful, it enabled us when we faced some other difficult circumstances. I don't have time to go through the, all the stories, but basically some of the worst news we could have gotten as a family in some ways enabled us to face that and just ask, not why God, why, but I wonder what God is going to do in this circumstance. Now a little bit later, we had some other difficult circumstances and then we were back to saying why God, why, but we have a we have something that we can go back to and say, we saw the Lord's hand. We saw the Lord. We perceived the Lord and his working. We don't know what he's doing right now, maybe. But we go back when we're in the space between promise and fulfillment, and we look at partial fulfillments, that enables us to keep going. When we say, God, do you see me? He says, do you see me? Do you perceive? Do you notice? Do you, do you see what I'm doing? Your God reigns. Now, in a real sense, as we start to understand who he is, the real good news is not even your God reigns, but just that he is as he is, and he's for you. If you like the things that he gives, the gifts, you like the giver. If you like the water, you like the source. As we go through these things and some of our sharp edges of disbelief are knocked off, sometimes with violence, we get more and more of a sense that he himself is the good news. Not his promises, but him. Not how he lives up to our expectations of how he is going to fulfill his promises, but the sometimes shocking ways that he does fulfill his promises. I mean, look at Jesus. Who among us would have imagined this would be the fulfillment of all those prophecies? Him coming, taking human form, and then dying on the cross to take our sins? Certainly better than anything we could have imagined. 
Somebody who shows us who God is and then defies our expectations of what God thinks of us. But that's not all there is. We don't always live in the space between promise and fulfillment because there is a final fulfillment that is coming. That's what the partial fulfillments tell us. He promised and he's working it out. If he promised and he's working it out, he who began a good work and you will be faithful to complete it, not just in you, but in the cosmos. There is an eternal and unstoppable reign that is coming that will displace all other realities, all other thoughts, all other beliefs, philosophies. For the bereaved, comfort is coming. For the lonely, community is here and it's coming. For the confused, answers are coming. For the hurting, healing is coming. That is shalom, and it is coming. I can tell you that because we've seen the partial fulfillments and the full will come. We've talked about three through eight. We've talked about how your God reigns. We've talked about how God's reign is sometimes hidden in the space between promise and fulfillment. And we've talked about how the full reign of God is coming inexorably. Without fail, it will come. The prophet has some application points for us, unusually. Usually you, when you preach, you don't have the application points coming directly from the text. But Isaiah actually kindly includes these for us, and they're in verses 1 and 2 at the very beginning and 11, 12 at the end. The first one is in verse 1. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come unto you the uncircumcised and unclean. The prophet is asking us to live as if the fulfillment was already a reality. And he's asking us to live in these ways again and again. Here he's asking us not to have fear. To live in a place where we don't fear what is happening to us, the people around us, what's going to happen to us in the future. It looks different in different differing circumstances, but one way of applying this today in America would be sometimes to worry more about winning hearts than winning arguments. In other situations, it's going to be speaking up for God's design for sexuality. In other contexts, it's going to be speaking up for God's desire for us to care for the poor and the immigrants, living without fear and proclaiming God's truth. Verse 2, shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. The image is of a chain around the neck. One of our Hebrew scholars uh, says this in commenting on this passage. We cannot break our chains ourselves, but can remove them once God has broken them. God does the foundational work of securing our freedom, but we walk in it. Sometimes freeing us from the things that bind us can take a lifetime. Sometimes we can talk about some of those things as being sins, uh, relationships that are not God-honoring. Idols, as Will talked about last week. We're not saying this is easy, but he has secured it. And so we can walk in the reality of his fulfilled promise. Down in verse 11, living in holiness. 
depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. You've seen the Lord at work. Your God reigns. So purify yourselves. The image that comes to mind when I read this, not that there's necessarily a textual link, but the pearl of great price. This is not somebody who's being told, hey, you better not be watching that. You better not be looking at that on your laptop. You better not be saying those words. This is somebody who is seen something of such great value. They are torn off all other hindrances and they're running towards the Lord, towards holiness. Verse 12, confident trust. For you shall not go out in haste. You shall not go out in flight. For the Lord will go before you and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. The reference here is to Exodus where you had the flame, uh, the pillar of flame and the cloud who led and at various times defended from the rear the people of Israel. When confronted with events that confuse and dismay us, we are being reminded that God is with us. Not to make sure that we don't have any difficulties in life, not to make sure nothing bad ever happens, but to shepherd us into his will. He is working things out, as he says in Romans 8, for our ultimate good. But we can be sure that even in the midst of those valleys, he's with us. He's with us every step of the way. To finish where we started in verse 7, with the feet, the beautiful feet of those who bring good news. Jesus is, of course, the, the one who most fulfills this role of bringing good news by what he showed us in his life and in his death, in his resurrection, in his teaching. But in the New Testament, whenever it refers to the beautiful feet of those who brings good news, it's not Jesus, it's us. We're empowered by the gospel to share this good news. And I hope that when we talk about this good news, you have an idea of why we are saying this is good news This is not something to constrain your freedom. This is not something to squeeze the fun out of your lives. This is good news. This is real life. This is true life. Advent is a time of looking back in celebration of how God has fulfilled his promises in the past and we're also looking forward to all the ways he is going to fulfill his promises in the future. Without fail, he will do it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, for how it guides us. We pray that we would listen to what you're saying to us in the scriptures today. We would have faith to see you even in the midst of the circumstances that make us ask, do you see us, Lord? Help us to see you even there. Amen.